Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of insight, wisdom, liberation, and empowerment. I am here to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming and to help you, our listeners, to be empowered to know and do and be the world around you. Oh, that sounds right. Let me. Nah, I'm just kidding. Good morning. It's Wednesday, <laughs> and I have not taken my meds apparently. Nah, I'm just kidding. Well, anyway, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. As always, we invite you to do so. The primary way you can do it is by calling the number three four seven two three seven five two three zero. That is the number if you'd like to get your insights, uh, commentary, dialogue, two cents, four cents, six cents, a dollar in. That's the number to call to do that. We also have the chat line that is open. And you can go to to blogtalkradio.com slash zero today, and you'll be able to open up, uh, click into the chat room, and you can uh, get in on that. Also, um, what else? Yeah, we're just about on everything, you know. I'm slow this morning, guys. Y'all got to have to forgive me. It's been, I don't know. It's it's been one of those one of those days, one of those weeks. <laughs> I I don't, I don't know, but anyway, uh, let's see what. Oh yeah, uh, go to our Facebook page, like our Facebook page, the Zero Network. We're on there. You can go there. You can see archive shows and um, put your little comments on some of the shows, ideas, whatever it may be. Also, uh, follow us on Twitter. My personal Twitter handle is at prophesy. And the show Twitter handle is Zira Radio at Zira Radio, so you can go and follow us on Twitter. We want to make sure that you uh, uh, keep up with all our updates that we try to do. Also, you can go to my personal page, uh, LorenzoTNeal.com, and uh, you see stories there, blogs, and things I've written, whatever. Uh, also, order a copy of my book uh, there, and let's see what else. 
Yeah, just about everything we're on. Whatever we're on, you'll find us. <laughs> but anyway, we're glad to be here today. This is a, a mid-Wednesday morning here in the good state of Arkansas. Uh, see, I am off. I'm about to say Arkansas, and I'm in Mississippi. Something is wrong. I, I need some coffee. Anybody got coffee or tea they can give to me to help me get on on the right page this morning? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited, though. It is another day that the Lord has made. We, I'm excited because I have a very special guest who's going to be on this morning, uh, author Cheryl Abram, who is the author of a book called Firing, titled Firing God. And I tell you, I've read this book, and I I really enjoy it. It's a very good read, very good read. So uh, she's going to be on in a, minute, a few moments. We're going to be talking with her, and not only are we going to be talking about her book, well, also, you know, she has a blog, she has other thoughts, and I follow her on Facebook, and she posts some of the, some of the most interesting things. So we'll be talking. We're, we're going to have a, a very good discussion, you know. I I hope we have a very good discussion. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to her and uh, our dialogue uh, shortly. But as always, we got some good headlines that we want to talk about. But before we do any of that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for today. This is truly a day that you've made. We rejoice and we're glad in it. Now let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer is our prayer. Amen. So let's get to some of the headlines today. I've, you know, there's really not a lot of headlines. I know some people will probably watched the Democratic presidential debate last night. I caught a glimpse of it. Um, I don't know why. Uh, but Mr. Bernie Sanders, Sanders, Senator Bernie, uh, that guy's, you know, he's a little fascinating to me. I, I, I don't know why he is. I mean, he's a proclaimed socialist, um, but for some reason, I guess because he, you know, he kind of sounds like the, the old mean grandfather everybody wants to have or did have. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes he makes sense. Other times, he kind of seems out of the ballpark. But he handled himself. From a you know, little bit that I caught very well. I guess that's why he's gra- gradually getting a lot of support from Hillary Clinton. But hey, it, it is what it is. I just hope people get out to vote, whatever they vote, whoever they vote for, that they know that their vote counts. But that, that's 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 just a trending thing. And also, I don't know, um, I don't usually talk about celebrities, but I, I, I've heard this story or caught the story about Lamar Odom. And the issue that's going on with him, um, apparently Mr. Odom uh, went to one of the brothels in Nevada um, and, according to the sources, took herbal – excuse me – took herbal Viagra or something to the nature, maybe a couple of other substances. But um, whatever he was – he was having a good time, but uh, the good time has led to him being hospitalized with – all kinds of issues, and at one report stated that he may be brain dead. However, that has not been confirmed. I'm, as, as far as I know, it's not confirmed. Um, they're saying that he he, he did have um, low-functioning organs, but uh, I don't believe he's brain dead. But uh, so send your thoughts out to his family, and of course, I think he was, I think he was married to one of those Kardashians. I don't know, but um, I. Tragedy is always tragedy, and we, you know, we should never. I don't think we should start sending empathy or sympathy toward a person when they get into a downtrodden space. You know, uh, I did hear reports about his uh, drug habit, but I like to say I don't know about that. 
but I don't. I'm not the one of those ones who waits till a person is in dire straits before they start expressing any type of empathy or sympathy toward them. I believe we need to do that while they are at the height or the epitome of their success. You know, before they come down. That, that's just me. But um, it, it is what it is. You know. Uh, so send your thoughts there, and there's many others who are in need of thoughts, of course, continue to think and send your thoughts and support and prayers to uh, those family in South Carolina, uh, primarily South Carolina, where they're still flooding. We had um, we have several churches here bond together and business persons bond together to send some relief uh, efforts to those um, that were directly affected by the storms there in that area on the East Coast. So uh, if you think it's not robbery, do so for them. Uh, some sad news. Um, I just read this report uh, today. Um, uh, Roberta Edwards, who is an American missionary to Haiti, and she, um, she's been a missionary there for over two decades, and she was the uh, over one of the children's homes there in Port-au-Prince. And the report is that she was viciously gunned down. And then one of her adopted children was kidnapped, and there seems to be no motive for this. Uh, I, I I could not imagine why anyone would do harm to another person, especially one who is doing well, doing good in such a ravaged and devastated area as as Haiti. You know, there's a lot of there's been a lot of support pouring into Haiti uh, following the earthquake that killed thousands of people, and yet um, to hear News such as this is very tragic. So, um, uh, um, Ms. Edwards, as I read, was a missionary and um, had been doing so. I think she was associated with the Church of Christ in Tennessee, some Church of Christ in Tennessee, but I, I, I cannot validate that. But the thing about it is uh, she put her life on to serve and to have her life taken out so viciously. And according to the report, um, she was not just gunned down. She was in her car with a child. The car was intentionally blocked. The gunman got out, got out of the car and just shot her. Execution style. And that's just sad. And, and I, my heart goes out to those who serve as missionaries anywhere in the world because, uh, it is a very difficult job, especially if you're from a Western country to go. And I know the sometimes tent and uh, is noble, but oftentimes, you know, we get caught up in these or those. We try, <coughs> we try to marginalize, and the marginalized end up um, kind of taking us out. But and I know plenty. Areas. I've been I've been one myself, and it's a difficult job to do, difficult difficult ministry. But uh, we must pray for them, and we must support them. And to hear such a tragedy is, is just devastating. So, so I'm gonna leave that news alone. I'm gonna move away from that sad news. But uh, uh, please continue to think, uh, send up your thoughts and prayers for uh, those who serve. On in the mission field, wherever they may serve, 
speaking of serving in the mission field, a year ago, just about a year ago, we planted a church. Um, my church here in New Bethel, AME, planted a church in the Christian community of Punjab, Pakistan. I think I said it right. But anyway, so we're celebrating uh, the year anniversary of New Bethel AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church of Pakistan, under the leadership of uh, host pastor Rashid uh, Sardir. And I tell you, when I uh, every week, uh, every month, I get the chance to uh, Skype and and actually preach a service. And I get regular updates and uh, weekly updates, and it's amazing. We, uh, when the church was planted, we had about twenty-five people, uh, and and that was that was amazing just for that uh, from you know the initial startup. But amazingly, the Lord has moved in that area, and it's now over three hundred people uh, worshiping. We uh, got a tent and. A building, it's just amazing. And and, and uh, uh, when I watch the people getting baptized, it's it's just it's just you know I'm like these guys, these people are literally uh, being converted under the the penalty of death because you know it's, it's being a Christian is not technically against the law, but it is against the law because if you're a Christian. Uh, nine times out of ten, you cannot get a job. You cannot, you know, have adequate employment, income, or receive any kind of government benefits. It is a very difficult life, and and these people, uh, dozens of them, uh, are converts from Islam, and that's, you know, that says a lot. Um, it really does says a lot. And in the midst of persecution, they have been, uh, they have come to know Christ and. And I I take great joy and pride in that because we got people here in the states who, with all the ample gospel preachers on television and radio and uh, you know there's no that while some perceive persecution there's not really any real persecution going on not really but it is what it is so I'm excited about that and the work is all divine over there and uh, we're Hopefully, within the next year or so, we're planning to make our way over there. I have to grow my beard a little longer so I can, you know, so I can probably pass. <laughs> but uh, that's that's a, that's my little testimony mission thing. But here in the states, there's some interesting things going on. I, you know, I, I'm trying not to talk too much about Christ the issue. If you're not aware. Uh, last year, at during the annual convocation that's held in now held in St. Louis, last year a young man Andrew Caldwell, you know, he was he came, he got the microphone, and he said that he was delivered. He didn't like men no more. He likes women, 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 women's, and. <laughs> So this guy, he's managed to stay in the spotlight for the last year. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Kimmel, one of the light shows. Then on that television show, he's making radio, doing interviews, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he did a 
radio morning show and talked about having an affair with Cordell, somebody. I can't think of The guy who was on The Real Housewives of Atlanta, he talked about having an affair with him, a sexual affair with him. And I'm his Facebook friend, and <laughs> the other day he posted a pic of, of him and his new girlfriend went to sit. <laughs> I can't even. Yeah, I'm just, you can't make this stuff up. He posted, he says, uh, this is me and my new girlfriend. Then I, then he says, I am officially delivered. <laughs> D-E-L-I-V-E-R-T. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay. All right. You're officially delivered. And, uh, you know, of course, that has gone viral because no one <laughs> – I don't believe many people are believing that he is, and there are some who are well-wishing. But I just find it comedic. I'm not condemning. I I, I just find it funny. You know, that, that's all I can say. It's just it's just funny. He's a funny dude. He he really, he is a funny dude. Uh, that's that's all I'm gonna say about that. But aside from him, and and you know his little thing that's going on with him. There's been there's been another. Uh, outcome from that event. Uh, Superintendent Earl Carter preached a message um, and I believe this was the message that led to Andrew Caldwell's uh, viral uh, video. But anyway, he preached against homosexual. I mean, he railed against homosexuality. He talked about them. I mean, he, he went off. He straight went off. And some uh, he called. He used the word sissies, and you know that's a bad word. That's a cuss word, and that's just just profane and whatever. So his video eventually went viral. So you had two viral videos come out the same event, right from the same communication, but the fallout was was different. Uh, Superintendent Carter ended up getting rebuked by Bishop Charles Blake, who is the presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ, Kojic Church. He ended up getting rebuked, and I guess he took, you know, he 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 didn't take it with a grain of salt. He he started an all right all out war against Bishop Blake. And when I talk about when I talk about a war, I mean they have been going well. He has been going at it against Bishop Blake. He's made videos. He's um, he has talked on radio, and you know he's he's he has gone so far as to say as to say that Bishop Blake is a down low homosexual. Now that don't you know that don't settle well with the Kojic. Now we know they got we got him in the church, but you are gonna call the bishop that you you know <laughs> so it, it's this has been going back and forth. Since the end of the convocation last year, and there are some who are saying that this man is just bitter because you know uh, he got a little attention and he got support from some persons who were backing him. And but the strong arm of the uh, Kojic community is just basically assaulting him, and he's fighting back. And uh, but I said all that to say that. To say that um, th- this whole thing is really, 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 really just ridiculous. I mean, I, when I say ridiculous, I mean, it. church folk already look bad, you know, 
there's been enough negative church attention from pastors. But when you have uh, persons, you know, when you have persons in leadership just going at each other, that just takes it to a whole nother level. And, you know, of course, this has been going on for since the beginning of Christendom. You know, you had Paul and Peter going at it, if you read in Galatians. You had um, Paul and Barnabas. They had a falling out and ended up having to go separate ways. I mean, so it, it's, it's not unusual, but just heightened now that we have more means of, of putting it out. You know, in in the first century with Paul and and Peter, you know, they had letters, and that would take months to circulate. But now we have social media, and one tweet, you know, can go viral within 10 minutes. And it's just sad because such things do not help the cause of Christ. And it certainly makes – it just makes the church look bad. But anyway, I digress. That's just – it is what it is. Yeah, It's just craziness. And and I'm going to talk – Kurt Franklin has a new – a new album that's be coming out, and he's been on a mission to help people lose their religion. And um, I, I I didn't want to talk about that too much in the monologue. Uh, I'm a, when I bring the guest on, uh, we're going to talk about that too. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a break, and and uh, afterwards we will be joined by our guest Cheryl Abram, and we'll be talking about her book Firing God and some other great stuff because. Um, Hey, I've been reading and, well, you know, hey, it is what it is. Let's take a quick break and be back right after this. commitment to the Gulf, VP had two big goals. Help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with VP for 24 years. I was part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf, and I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger. At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to Farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are Farmers. Bum, 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 bum. With the Name Your Price tool, you tell us what you want to pay, and we give you a range of coverages to choose from. Who is she? That's Flobot. 
She's this new robot we're trying out, mostly for like small stuff. Wow. Look at her go. She's pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, Flobot. Great job. Oops. Uh-oh, Flobot is broken. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. Call or click today. author, she's a mother, she's a blogger, she's, um, she's, yeah, all these other stuff, you know, whatever else you can make up, that's, yeah, she'll be there too. But uh, we're joined by author Cheryl Abram, she's the author of uh, Firing God, and Firing God is her story of how um, she took the leap of doubt, and taking the leap of doubt has how that has has that leap of doubt has uh changed her life in a positive way. So Cheryl, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I can hear you. Good. Welcome okay. to the show and good morning to you, afternoon, your time. Thank you. Good afternoon to you too. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. I didn't bore you, you know, were you on that last did you hear the last segment? That wasn't too boring, was it? <laughs> I, I did hear the last segment. It was very interesting. All the stories were very, very interesting, yes. Uh, I should have had some some coffee this morning. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm so glad that you thought it not robbery to come on the show, and I'm I'm excited to have you. And I know we've been yeah. we've been trying to make this happen for some time, and I'm finally I'm glad that I was we were finally able to make this happen. So mm-hmm. let's just jump right into this thing. Uh, okay. Tell tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself and um about your book and we'll we'll talk about the book um mm-hmm. and all of that but just give give us a little background as to okay. how this all came about okay um well i am from southern louisiana i'm from yeah. homa mm-hmm, which is uh, south of new orleans in terrebonne parish um grew up there with my family my father my mom cousins aunts uncles uh everyone is uh, still down there uh, save for some of my sisters and my brother um, I had an awesome childhood. I I grew up on a plantation called Pecan Grove because we had numerous pecan trees and all kinds of other trees and gardens. You know, my, my father, he had, um, my grandfather, he had animals and went hunting all the time. I mean, fishing, crawfishing, all of that stuff. It was, it was awesome. It was really, really great. So um, I had a, a great childhood. I, of course, Church was an enormous part of all of our lives, and um, uh, you know, grew up going to church. Uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church was the church we went to down in Burg, Louisiana. 
uh, with my mom's family. And then from Berg, um, my father's uh, mother lived in Homa. So I would go between Berg and Homa and, um, you know, while I was growing up. So um, at the age of 12, I started, or like 11, around 10 or 11, I started going to this other church called House of the Lord in Homa and a very dynamic minister uh, there, uh, loved him, loved the congregation, everybody there was in the choir, thing a child could do in the church, you know, and I loved every second of it. I really did. Um, it was very inclusive. I I went to high school. I had on my, my folders, you know, Jesus loves you, and I witnessed as much as I could, and um, the place that I wanted to be, like I never went to school dances or any, you know, anything like that. And I didn't feel some type of way about it. I wasn't angry at my mom, you know, for not letting me go because I didn't want to be there. I would have rather have been in church, you know, at choir practice, vacation Bible school. You know, I really enjoyed that. that um, I did. So, um, yeah, so up until I was uh, 17, you know, I, I graduated high school and I, I went to the military. And that's the thing started to uh, turn around for me a little bit because, as I've explained, you know, I grew up in the church, so I was kind of in this bubble of protection, I, I guess you can say. You know, I was a good Christian girl, never considered doing anything untoward or, you know, disobedient to the Bible or to God. You know, if I told a lie or something like that, then I... I was immediately convicted and, you know, apologized and asked for forgiveness and, you know, all of that. You know, I, I fasted a lot, all all that stuff. So when I left home and I was no longer in that bubble, you know, um, I, I didn't know, I really didn't know, like, what to do. Like, I didn't know how to react to situations almost, you know, because I was not used to, not being in such a religious environment, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was in Washington State. I was stationed there. I met someone there, and I uh, I got married. Um, and it was around this time where um, we moved to Rhode Island, and I uh, began to go to school. Now, my first marriage, I got married very young, and... Um, I wasn't as happy as I was when I was a teenager, you know, back home, uh, you know, in church and going to school and things like that. So I started to have questions because in my mind, what I knew to be true was that I was saved, you know, I was chosen, uh, I was one of the select few, I was favored by God, and things started to happen that seemed to be uh, in contravention to those things that I just listed, you know. Um, my my first husband, he wasn't as religious as I was, so um, I felt like that was getting in my way of my happiness and, you know, things started to happen in my life, like with my job, that was getting in the way of my happiness and that straight line, I that straight line of view that I had to my favor with God, right? Because if I'm favored and all of that other stuff chosen and all those other things, you know, I know I've got to suffer a little bit, but for the most part, 
you know, I'm going to be happy, you know, and, and peaceful and things like that. Well, things started to disturb that happiness and peace. Well, let, let me just put it that way. So I went to, uh, I started college when I was in Rhode Island. And uh, it was a Catholic school. And there were, no matter what your major was, you were required to take a course on religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this course, I was introduced some books. Now, it wasn't Catholic religion. Like, it was a, it was a religion curriculum, so we're talking about all different kinds, you know. And I remember two books that we had to read that was required reading. It was When Bad Things Happen to Good People by That's Harold one of my Kushner. favorite books. Yes. One of my favorite books. And the other one was Man's Search for Meaning. I don't remember the author's name, but he was, he, uh, was in a concentration camp. And, you know, he, he wrote that book, you know, around that. And reading When Bad Things Happen to Good People, man, that really got me thinking. Like, because I remember, I remember vaguely him talking about, you know, there are three three things that God God is. You know, he's just, he's this, and he's something else, right? And, and his son, you, you read the book, so you know that his son died of progeria, Um you know, and he's wondering, this is a child. You know, he's done nothing wrong. Why in the world would something like that happen to this child, you know? And his argument was that those three things could not be true. At the, they all could not be true at the same time, you know, if, you know. And he went on to explain that. So that book really started to have me ask more questions, you know, and, and the course itself, we had to take a test at the beginning of the course where we had to answer some questions. I think it was 10 questions about Christianity. You know, I grew up in the church. I witnessed the people. I went to Bible study. I taught, you know, like the little kids in, in, in Sunday school. So I know, of course, I, I know all of these answers. Lorenzo, I got every answer wrong. Every single one. And I was so hurt. Wow. It was very, very, and it was simple stuff, like simple stuff, like, you know, Jesus was a Christian type thing, you know. But it, and it, it was, I got every answer wrong. And that, that really hurt me. It hurt me a lot because I felt like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> like who am I? Like, how, how can I not, how could I have gotten those wrong, you know? So it was going to school and these things happening in my life that really got me to, to wondering, you know. I was never, ever, ever in the frame of mind that I'm just going to leave the church or, you know, I'm going to become an atheist or anything like that. That was never the case. You know, it was always, okay, I don't, I didn't get the answer to those questions. I'm having some, you know, some questions about some things, but this is all about me. There's something more that I need to do you know, to get myself right and back on the straight and narrow, right? So from Rhode Island, I went to, um, I ended up getting divorced from my first husband, and I moved where I am now. Now I live in uh, northern Virginia, close to Washington, D.C., and I went, I immediately went to school to get my master's degree. Um, And uh, here, while I was here about six years ago, I met someone else, and I got married again, and now my my things were happening in my life where the suffering just got ramped up like 10 or 20 notches, okay? 
And this whole time, as all these things are going on, you know, it was emotional. It was, you know, in my professional life. It was my, um, you know, my relationship, all of that stuff. Things were just happening all at once. And I, I was depressed. I was like, what is going on? I don't understand why I'm just not happy. That's all I want. I'm not asking for much. I'm not asking to be a millionaire. I just want to be happy, content, and able to care for my children. Like, that. that's it. And I felt like life was just hard. Why is it so hard to just live? <laughs> I felt like I want to do what the trees do. You know, hmm. I wanted to do what the grass does, what the birds do. That's all I want to do. I just want to live. That's it. And I don't want to have to keep trying to live. <laughs> I just want to do it. And I felt like it was, I felt like walking through settling cement, it was that hard to just live, you know. And wow. I'm thinking, you know, what, and, and again, the whole time I'm thinking there's something I'm not doing right. Okay, God wants to help me. He wants to do everything he can for me. He's just waiting to do that. But it's something that I'm doing that's blocking all that. Okay, so Cheryl, you need to get yourself together. Okay, you're not good enough right now for him to give you what it is, what he what he sees you need. You know, it, it's you. You're blocking it. So I did, like... What I knew to do was to try to, you know, find a church and read more, fast more, pray more, you know, all confirmations, you know, positive affirmations, all this stuff, you know, because I was like, I, I, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. Whatever was going on, I was depressed. I was sad. I felt like I was ruining my children's lives because I couldn't get my act together, you know. So I was like, I can't do this. I need help. So whatever I need to do to get that help, I'll stop eating for a week, two weeks. I'll stop watching TV. I'll start reading my Bible for four hours. I mean, whatever. Whatever it takes, I'll do it. Just please help me. Just please help me. That's all I wanted. I just want to be happy. So I was in... One day, as I'm sorry, I'm, I'm starting to get into the book now. Is that is that like? <laughs> that, that's fine because okay. I, I, you know, I, I know that first section talks about finding your way home, and, yeah. and so you know you're getting into that. And, and I do want to talk. I hope that you do get into you, you talk. Uh, it sounds like you're talking about you know, yeah, that uh, what the unworthiness part is that what it was unworthiness? Yeah, yeah. I wasn't worthy enough. To, and, and I've been taught that like from the beginning. I mean, that's what that's what I remember is that I need a savior, you know. Which is why at the age of twelve is when I got saved. Is when I went in front of the church and said, you know, I confessed my sins and I asked Jesus into my heart when I was twelve years old. Because, you know, the years before, I have been constantly telling you, you know, you were born into sin. You know, you don't deserve to be. You don't even deserve to be breathing right now. It's just God's mercy that is allowing you to even be here. You know, you don't deserve any of it. And and it's because of this, you know, the story of Adam and Eve and, and all that. And um, 
you know, and I, I watched, I remember watching, what was it, Left Behind or The Thief in the Night, something like that I watched. Oh, yeah, I like those movies, yeah. 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 They showed it in church. <laughs> Lorenzo, I got home, I was terrified. I didn't want I to turn off the light. I'm 11 <laughs> years old. I'm terrified. I'm I, like, I, oh, yeah, my I God. I, I, <laughs> you know? I, I had the and, same experience, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was so scary. And I was like, and what I see now, what I see now, and what I have seen like since I've written the book and, you know, had a change in perspective is that it was fear. Fear drove everything that I did in the name of the Lord. It was fear. And because I didn't want to be left behind, I didn't want to go to hell. I was scared, you know. And it reminded me, I remember watching, I love documentaries. That's something that I watch a lot. I, I just love them. And I was watching this documentary about Saddam Hussein, how he came into power. And mm. there was one, there was a scene where he was, you know, the the, the film was all grainy, you know, because it was, you know, back in the day and stuff, and it was black and white. And he was on stage with a cigar. He was smoking a cigar. And he he had this guy get up, and and this was all about how, you know, they were talking about in the documentary, the guy narrating how he was paranoid and always thought someone was, you know, trying out to get him and things like that. So what happened was he called all of the head officials together in this one room. And one of one of his assistants stood up while he's sitting there smoking a cigar, looking calm, collected, everything. And he read something about how Saddam had found out that people were about to betray him. So he started calling names. So he would call a name. The guards in the back, the people in the back would go and get the guy, take him right outside, right outside the door, and kill him right there. No questions, no trial, no nothing. He couldn't explain himself, nothing. He called another name. They'd go, get the guy, take him outside. and just... So everybody, all of these powerful, wealthy men in this room have no idea. They don't know if their name is going to be next. They have no idea. So they're terrified. I can see on the film, they're terrified. And there is nothing they can do. In that moment, they have no power at all, none. Their lives are being held by the whim of this guy on the stage smoking a cigar with no care whatsoever. So what happened, it was the strangest thing I have ever seen. The, rema- the men in the room, as their colleague is being dragged out, taken outside and shot, the remaining men in the room, an enormous wave of applause just goes up. I mean, it's almost maniacal. They're clapping and they're shouting and they're saying, long live Saddam, you know, long live Saddam. I mean, the whole thing, the, 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 it was frantic almost, the, the maniacal praise that was going on. So out of this powerlessness and fear, the most, I mean, worship like you've never seen before, like you've never seen before, because they were trembling with terror. And that—that that is how, when I saw that documentary, I was like, oh, my God. 
that ex- that's exactly how I've been living my life. Everything, when it, came, when it came to God and worship and praise, my life is all I have. That's it. The only thing that really belongs to me, I feel, is this life. And God is the one on the stage smoking the cigar. All he has to do is say, call my name and I'm done. Mm. I'm done. And out of that, out of that fear came this worship, you know. And that's what now, that's what I came to see later. I mean, I didn't, you know, none of this was, I thought it was love. You know, I felt like everything I was doing was from, I I love the Lord, he's good, he's wonderful, you know. No matter what is going on in the world, he's got anything bad, he's got nothing to do with it. You know, he might be allowing the devil to do it or whatever, you know. But he's 100% pure and good, you know. So that that's that's what I thought. But when I told myself the truth, when I was honest with myself, which was hard, it was extremely difficult to be honest with myself. Uh, I no, thought no. that this is where it, it came from. Mm-hmm. So let let me let me interject here. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, not really interject. You know, you 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 mentioned your experience and how you know you saw. Uh, God is the dictator kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. like Saddam, you know, uh, Saddam Hussein. Now, I know there are a lot of Christians who practice good works and believe that they got to do good all the time just to be right. Uh, I go back to a, a sermon that, you know, I learned and many people who were in seminary learned this by uh, a 19th century preacher, Jonathan Edwards. 18th century preacher Jonathan Edwards, who preached a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Mm-hmm. And most Christians um, believe, and they, they may not admit it, but and they live by this idea that if they mess up in the slightest way, God is going to take them out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, God is going to take their blessings away from them. Or the only way right. they can be blessed is to offer up sacrifices or praise to God. And of course, you know, a lot of that comes from the New Testament because that, I mean, from the Old Testament because that's, you know, basically how it operated, you know, keep God happy by making good sacrifices. Uh, some mm-hmm. people use the Cain and Abel, you know, uh, a, a story to, narrative to, to undergird this idea that, you know, you make the wrong sacrifice and then uh, God is not going to accept it. You make the right sacrifice. God is going to accept it and be pleased, and and in return bless you. But somebody's going to come out. You know, the devil going to come out to try to kill you because you made the right sacrifice, and God was mm-hmm. pleased with you. Yada yada yada. And so they mm-hmm. get into this continual pattern of behavior, uh, driven by a sense of guilt and fear that right. if they don't they don't do right, then uh, mm-hmm. God's going to do bad to them. Mm-hmm. Now in your book you're talking about be, you talked about being released from fear. Now what what helped you be released from uh that sense of fear? And you know, I you know a lot of my a lot of my audience is Christian they and they're ready mm-hmm. probably to to tear you up, tear you to pieces with arguments. <laughs> uh, just so you know, but Listen, ahead, I told you, I'm from Southern Louisiana. I know your audience, okay? And I, <laughs> I have heard from them <laughs> personally, okay? But yeah, but let me just say this, because this is what I say when I go out to speak about my book, you know, in other places and, and in interviews. My intent is not to change anybody's mind. What I actually say before I start speaking is, 
whatever belief you came in the door with, please, I'm begging you, leave with those same beliefs. I am not trying to change anything, not at all. What I'm doing is I'm telling my truth. I'm telling my story, right? And we all have one. We all have our own stories, right? So don't don't think I'm attacking beliefs or saying your belief is wrong or it should be something else. That is not the case at all. I just want to make that very, very clear, okay? Um, so as far as what got me out of that fear, the first thing I'll have to say is what I just said, is being honest with myself, telling the truth, okay, telling because a lot of, when I look back on my my walk, my my spiritual walk, my Christian walk, there was a lot of uh, a lot of things were repressed. A lot of things were ignored and denied. A lot of feelings that I had, you know, because as you just said, I felt like as a Christian I shouldn't be feeling that way, you know. As a Christian, I shouldn't be angry. As a Christian, I shouldn't be fearful. I shouldn't be this or I shouldn't be that. So I'm going to pretend that I'm not, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and not report this person to the police for what they did, okay, because I mm. need to be able to forgive. So I'm going to go ahead and forgive and just let it slide, and I'm going to let the Lord take care of it, you know. So a lot of me, a lot of myself was, repressed because what I because of what I thought I should do in order to be a good Christian. Let me say that right. So and that was right. years and years of that. Years of that. So releasing and releasing that fear started with me telling the truth about those things. You know, and telling the truth to about my fear, about myself, you know. And that was difficult. It was very difficult to to do because all of those you should be, I had created a fake a fake image, a fake persona of myself. I was, like I said in the beginning, I was a good Christian girl. That was my persona, right? So the real me, the, the person that I really am, I had to pretend a lot in order to fit into that mold that I had created, you know? That's hard. That's hard to do. Um, because life doesn't work that way, <laughs> you know it just doesn't. Um, so that 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 was the beginning of it, and so I was telling the truth, and then it was it was really beginning to question what I thought I knew, and I'm not just talking about religion or the Bible. I mean, I mean when I say question, I meant everything. Every single thing was to just start to, to question it. Not question it and come up with another answer. Just ask the question. That's it. Is it true? Is it, is it really this way? You know, could it be something else? You know, th- th- those sorts of things. So, um, but that that came after I had an, I had two major experiences that, that happened to me. Okay. That really put me on the path to discover who I am and what in the world is going on here, okay? Um, so the first one was um, 
there was one day when this was during my second marriage. It was horrible. I mean, it was it was horrible. It was just a, a terrible, terrible situation. And um, I was extremely depressed and down, and I just didn't know what to do. My finances were horrible. Uh, um, you know, my relationship was in the trash can. I was very worried about my kids because I knew that I couldn't get my stuff together. So it was everything was just bad. Um, so I came home one day. I went in my kitchen, and there's just mail, like foreclosure notices, bills just falling off the counter because they were everywhere. And I was like, I just, it was just so overwhelming. It was so overwhelming. I couldn't even cry anymore. I just, I couldn't cry about it. It was just, I was at my lowest. I was at my lowest. So I went in my room. A couple weeks before, I had been looking for a church so I can find somewhere to be that was really going to, you know, give me some a sense of community and people that I can gain some some encouragement from, you know, and, and hope because I really, really needed that. So in, uh, in, in going to that church, the pastor gave me a book to read, and I really wish I could remember the name of that book, but I can't. Um, I could call him and ask him, though. I guess I could do that. But whatever that book was, he gave it to me to read because they were reading it for Bible study which I love. I love Bible studies. So um, I took the book in my room, and I was like, okay, let me just read this thing, because i got to read something that's going to give me some hope. Because right now, there is no hope at all, none. I didn't know where I was going to go, which way I was going to turn, nothing. So I picked up the book, and I started reading it. And the guy who wrote the book said something about, you know, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be sure, you know, the Lord is on your side and in your house and all that, there are some things you got to do. You know, the first thing is to get Stephen King books out of your house, all right? Nothing new to me. I'd heard this before, you know, about having evil stuff in the house. You know, you got to get that out <laughs> and anoint it with oil and all that, whatever. But I was at a, a point, Lorenzo, when... I was so down and hurt and hopeless that reading that, it it, it brought the fear up again. So now now right. I'm afraid again. Here I am. I'm I need I need a doctor. Like I need help. And what I'm reading and interpreting is, Cheryl, you're not good enough. You know, there's there's you're almost there. But there's something else you got to do. You know, before I before I can help you. And at that moment, the, the fear that I felt after reading that brought about the hottest anger I had ever experienced in my life. I was so angry at that point. And, I was, and that's when I started to talk to God, like out loud. I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm finished with you. I, I'm, I'm just done. Because, you know, every time I go to you, it's something else. It's Cheryl. I really want to help, but... You know, I want to be there for you, but I see that you're suffering, but it's, there's always a but. You've got to do something else in order for me to move. And I was like, I'm sick of it. I'm just done. I was like, you know what, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You just, you know, you do you and I'll do me. And I was like, I'm forgetting everything I've ever learned. I'm just done with you. And I threw, I said more than that, but, I, you know, I don't want to say it on, on my, I wrote it in my book. I <laughs> 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 it on your radio show. <laughs> But, you know, but for hey, the most part, I was like, I'm finished. Yeah, so 
I, I threw I got the book, I threw it on the uh, on the floor. My Bible was on my dresser in the room and I knocked that off the dresser. I'm like, Bye, I'm done. <laughs> I was now when I was doing that, as I was saying the words and feeling the feelings, I was very I was still very afraid because 'cause I'm like, I'm remembering you're not supposed to talk to God like that. You know, if my mama would have heard me <laughs> she would have gave me the business, right? Because you, you can't Hello. say that to God. You cannot be irreverent like that. You know, this is the Lord. You're nobody, you know, compared to him. But I, I, I just had to, I had to say it. I had to get it out. I had to say what I was feeling because that was all I had left. All I had left was honesty. That's all I, I had nothing else. I was empty except for honesty, except for telling the truth. And I had to do it. And I, I, ha- I have to tell you, when I did that, the feeling of freedom that I had was, it's beyond, I can't even put it in words. I, it literally felt like I'd been released out of shackles. I didn't know I was in the shackles because I'd always been in them and I got used to that feeling. But being honest in that moment, that the release I got was crazy. Hmm. And it just it felt so good. I could breathe again. <laughs> I, I could actually breathe again, you know. And immediately, like, there was a feeling of freedom, and then I got the strongest compulsion to read the story of Adam and Eve. Now, I didn't okay. hear a voice. There was no voice in my ear. I didn't see writing on the wall. I mean, was, everything was normal. But it was like something was pushing me. And, and I interpreted it as read that story, like read Adam and Eve. And I was like, hell no, I just said I'm done. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not doing none of that stuff. But, and this went on for, for a couple of days, you know. And finally, like on the, the day, the second day, like on the third day after that happened, the second day after that happened, it was like 2-something in the morning. And that compulsion, it was just, it was beating me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read the story. Fine, I'll read the story. So I, I got the Bible. I read the story of Adam and Eve. Nothing happened, you know, no bright light or anything like that. So I read it, and that was it. You know, I went back to sleep. But the next day, I questions started coming up about that story, questions I'd never asked before, um, like why are there two stories? Uh, why did God just have to speak in the first one and then the second one he had to make Adam from something, you know? Why mm-hmm. did he have to put Adam to sleep? He's God. Why would he need to do that? You know, right? The Bible, the story doesn't say anything about Adam waking up. You know, it just it doesn't say you know he was asleep and then he woke up again. That's not explicit. You know, why would he put the devil in there? Why would he not want us to have knowledge? Why would he even put that tree? I mean, all kinds of stuff that I just take it for granted because this is the way I was told the story. God does what He wants to do. Don't ask no questions. Keep it moving, right? So exactly. It, yeah. <laughs> So in asking these questions, more questions came up. Because what I what I did was, all I know is Christianity. So that's where I go to get the answers. So I called my sisters and, you know, my mom. And I kept getting the same answers I got again. I'd gotten already, you know, stuff, you know, until it got to, um, well, you know, like I just said, you know, God, you know, he he has a reason for all this stuff, you know. That wasn't good enough for me anymore. God works in mysterious ways wasn't wasn't working for me anymore. You know, so I felt like there was there was 
I needed to find out. I needed to find out the answers to these questions. So I did some investigating. You know, I Googled and I went to the library and looked up other stuff. Um, and I kept doing this for weeks, weeks and weeks. Um, I was still determined not to go back to church and not to do all this other stuff, but I knew that something was going on here. I just wanted to find out for myself, okay? So that was the first incident. The second major incident that happened that really, um, you know, that really put me on the path to searching was I, I was at work one day, and, uh, you know, it was early in the morning. I was checking my emails, which I do every morning. And, you know, I'm sitting there with my coffee, checking the emails. Everything is normal as it normally is. And all of a sudden, my heart just starts beating really fast, uh, which first confuses me. because I'm like, why <laughs> Why is that happening? And then it scared me because my, my palms started to sweat. Like I broke out into a cold sweat. My heart's beating really fast, and for some reason, I'm just terrified. Like there was a monster or something standing in front of me, but there was nothing. It was a beautiful, sunny day, and nothing was going on around me. So I'm like, what the world is going on? Why is this happening to me, you know? And finally, the I get the thought that I'm dying. And I'm like, oh, my mm. God, I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> like I'm 30-something. I'm as healthy as can be. Why in the world would I be having a heart attack right now? But I knew I knew that I was about to die, you know, and there was nothing I could do about it. So, um, of course, I'm I'm terrified and I'm thinking, what about my kids? You know, what's going to happen to my babies? I have four children. My who's going to be with them? I, I didn't get a chance to say I love you. I mean, none of that, you know. And what I knew, I knew for a fact that I was dying and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it. I couldn't say, you know what, Death, give me 10 minutes. Let me make this phone call, and then, you know, we, we can do – it was none of that. It was coming, and it was coming fast, and that was it. So when I saw that, and I just – all I could do was accept it, you know, and say, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm finished. This is it. And once I accepted that, you know, and stopped trying to think of reasons why I couldn't die right now and just say, it's okay, I am, that's it. I, the terror that I was feeling was quickly replaced by what I, what I can only call uh, a feeling of eternity. It felt wow. like, not that I was in eternity, not that I was like eternity is a place that I'm in, but it felt like eternity is what I am. Like that's what mm. I felt, that's what I'm made of, Right. And it wasn't just me. It was everything around me was made of that, too, you know. So, it, it, so I looked at my computer in front of me, and I thought, oh, my God, like, what is the computer doing here? And it wasn't the, it wasn't the feeling that I had that was foreign. It was the fact that there's a computer here, you know. And, uh-huh. and, I, and the, thing, the same way that I knew I was going to die, I knew what this was. Eternity is the only word that I have in my vocabulary to explain it. But that does it absolutely no justice at all. And it wasn't just that, Lorenzo. I felt like, so at the time, I was going through a divorce with my husband. You know, things were really contentious, and I didn't like him very much at that time. But I saw that 
he was made of the same thing. Like he, that's him too. You know, as much as I disliked him at the moment, and that made me so happy. I mean, it made me so happy that he, oh, my God, he is that too. We're all that, all of us. Everything, every person, every thought, everything is made of that. Like that's what I saw in that moment, right? Mm. So this only, this only lasted. It didn't last that long, less than a minute. And it was like a bright light fading to black, how, how it just faded out, right? And that is the, the experience that really, really got me on the got, – I was already a little bit on the path to trying to find out what was going on here. But that is the thing that really – turned it around for me and had me questioning 10 times more than I was before, you know. And I have to say, since and from that, like, when that happened, it's like my the problems in my life just exploded. <laughs> it exploded. Is that, is, I is, mean, was it like in a good way or? or, or? No, things got a hundred times worse. I'm telling times. you, a hundred times worse. And, and because it, it almost felt like it was trying to tell me what I felt in that moment was not true. You are not okay. You are not fine just the way you are. Mm. There is more you need to do. You know, and it was, and I, I had to, I really had to keep going back to that because I'm like, there is no way in the world that that can be true. But, you know, through... That happened like two years ago. So through all this, and, you know, I, I, I've come to see today that 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 moment was it was in fact the truth, and it still it never was not true. You know, it, it still is. You know, despite anything, you know, anything that's going on. So in my book, I go, of course, into more detail let, let ask, about that journey because uh, yeah. you know, we we're going through time pretty fast, and I, yeah. I still want to get to some other things in your uh, Matt. Particularly, I think you kind of were segueing segueing into it. But um, in the in the height of this in experience, mm-hmm. when did you discover that you didn't own truth? That I didn't own truth. Is that what or, you said? What what the, the um, not didn't own truth or how do you put it in your book? Um. Doggone it, I just had it on the page. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that truth is not something that I, I can possess. I can't say, okay, truth is right over here at uh, at the house on the corner, you know, the blue house, and this is where truth is, and if you want truth, you got to come here because it's over here. It's like like gravity. I don't own gravity. Okay, I can't say that, you know, gravity is right here if you want. No, it's not mine to give. It's not mine to possess. Gravity was here before me. I haven't, you know, and it's going to be here when I leave, you know. I don't have it. And that is the same way for truth from what I see, from the perspective that I have now. I don't own truth. The truth is not in a book. It's not in a particular language. It's not in a particular place, you know, a a, a mosque or a, a building in Israel or wherever. No, that's not it at all. You cannot own it. And, and you cannot even believe it. How about that one? 
truth yeah. cannot even be believed, right? It can only be known. It can only be known. And everybody knows it. I, 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 I'm, well, I'm stumbling here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I, when you talk about um, not having a corner market on on truth. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, how that segued into your new understanding of of of, of sin, mm-hmm. um, perfection, and, mm-hmm. and 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 likewise, can can you talk a little bit about that? Well, not perfection. Uh, well, yeah, perfection and responsibility. That, that's what I was. Uh, yeah. Sin, responsibility, belief, and perfection. So that that's mm-hmm. where I really like to go with this conversation. Okay. So with with perfection, <clears throat> you know the Bible, how the Bible says, um, "Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect." That's right, right. Well, the way I see that now is that that's not a a, a starting pistol to the finish line of perfection, right? That's a statement of fact right now. You are perfect as I am, as I am perfect, right? So I remember I read this book called um, The Art of Possibility. And it's about this guy. He's an instructor. He, he He's a conductor, and he teaches children how to, you know, play instruments and, you know, conduct and things like that. That used and to be my gig. Is, I'm sorry? I said that used to be my gig. Yeah. You'll, yeah, well, you'll, you'll understand this perfectly. So what he does is when the kids come to his class, you know, with their instruments and things like that, Everybody in the class, he gives them an A+. The first day, everybody gets an A+. He says, this is your grade right now. And what he says is, this is the grade that you will grow into. It's already yours. You already have the A+. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you grow into it. It's not something that you have to live up to. Because you you, that's already you. You don't have to live up to what you already are. It's something that you're going to grow into, all right? And that, that's what I mean by perfection. We're already, we're already perfect. We're already there. There's nothing more that I need to do to be that A+. It's like a, a, a caterpillar growing into a butterfly, right? The caterpillar, it's already that butterfly, it's already that that capacity is already there. It's not going anywhere. It's already a butterfly. If it's you know, if I step on it when I go outside, if it's eaten by a bird, that doesn't mean it's failed or, you know, anything like that. It was always a butterfly. Always. So with when I when with with perfection, we are already everything that we need to be. Right? What seems to happen though is that if what seems to happen is it's like like right now it's it's autumn outside my house I have a tree it's like if I, if I was that tree and I see that my leaves are falling and I and I believe I've been told I've been taught that when your leaves fall this means you're a failure you're doing something wrong so as this tree I'm trying everything I can to stop my leaves from falling but that's not gonna. Ha- that's not the way the world works. In the fall, tree- leaves fall. That's what they do. You know, 
just in my anxiety about what I've been told is supposed to happen, that's where I create my own suffering, my own hell, right? The tree is fine. It's doing everything the tree is supposed to do, right? I am fine. I'm at my A+. plus. I'm already where I need to be. But it's my anxiety in trying to live up to some to a standard that's been set by something else, someone else. You know, that's where I'm creating my own hell, where I'm creating my own anxiety, where I'm building up my own fear, you know, all of that stuff. I'm doing that. And I say a lot of that in my, that's where responsibility comes in. I'm responsible for that. That is not coming from outside because outside is not telling me that. I'm getting that from, you know, the way I've grown up, from my tradition, from books I've read, from friends I have, from my own ideas, you know. I'm getting that from my leaves are falling, they're growing, you know, my branches are growing. All Whatever needs to be happening it is happening. Whatever needs to happen is happening. Any problem I have with what's happening is totally my responsibility because it's my, my some standard that I've set or that society has set or that culture has set that I feel like I'm failing to live up to or that religion has set that I'm failing to live up to. So I'm I'm responsible for the way I feel because that's me buying into that as something that's true and unquestionable. Every belief is holy enough to be questioned. Every thing we think we know is worthy enough to be doubted. Now, uh, you you said a mouthful right there um yeah. because most most Christians especially most church folk uh never question and, mm-hmm. and I know from a pastor as being a pastor you know when I'm doing bible study and I ask, I invite dialogue I invite people to question and I'm always mm-hmm. questioning uh but the average person who goes to church and the average person who professes to be a Christian doesn't doesn't question what they've been taught, and mm-hmm. they they don't allow room for doubt. So, um, yeah, uh, you you in your book you talk about taking the leap of doubt mm-hmm. uh, and questioning. And I, I know you, we were on this tangent about uh, the the other thing, but aside from events and the things that you 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 already mentioned. What really propelled you to make that leap of doubt and question? So I said in the beginning when I you know when I started talking that all I wanted to do was to be happy. That's it. I just I just wanted to live and and not have to put so much effort <laughs> into it, you know? Mm-hmm. So What I what I what I came to see was that as I questioned, as I doubted, it wasn't about changing my mind because, like I said already, it, this is not about changing your mind. It's about opening, opening my mind. It was about releasing myself from the prison that I had created. I did it. I can't blame it on anybody. Releasing myself from that prison by opening my mind to other possibilities. And I cannot 
open my mind and get those mental shackles off unless I am willing to question the ultimate authority. The ultimate authority is my system of belief. And that is what I say in the book. When I say I'm firing God, God was my system of belief. Okay? That was the Mm -hmm. ultimate authority. Mm -hmm. I had to be courageous and brave enough to question me, to question those beliefs that I held on to for dear life. I wasn't letting them go. This is this is this is because I felt like my beliefs is that's who I was. Like I was made of that. Without my beliefs, I was nothing. You know? What do you mean question? That was like committing suicide almost, you know, that's what it felt like. It was a very terrifying process. Let me just say that. It was very terrifying. But I was determined. I got a taste of freedom that day when I said, you know what, I'm done. You know, and I had to go on, I had to go even further to say, you know what, I really don't know. Belief is not knowledge. It's belief. That's why it's called belief. Not, not, I mean, it's not knowing, you know. So I had to do that. That That's I have to take that leap of doubt and infuse some doubt into what I said was true, what I believed to be true, right? And the more I did that, the more, and and like I said, it's not about asking a question and then finding a different truth. It's just asking the question and just staying right there at that question. Just stay there. Don't go left. Don't go right. Stay at the question, right? And just let let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, One thing I read um, in, in this other book, what was it called? Uh-huh. The Course, The Course in Miracles, right? Oh, wow. One yeah, thing yeah. it said was, <laughs> yeah, I, that that book was weird. It was I had, you know, yeah, I it, talk about that a lot in, in my speech. But one thing that it says that I absolutely loved was that the Holy Spirit's voice is only as loud as your willingness to hear it. And it was that willingness that I had to question what I thought I knew that allowed the answer, the actual answer to come through, Mm. you know? I got you. So, you know, now that, now that, now that you've come out and, you know, you fired God, you gotten rid of your belief system, you know, I'm quite sure you've been confronted by a lot of Church folk will say, "Well, you just probably need to find the right church to go to, or you need yeah. you need to get the right pastor." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. So, so how does how has this impacted you? I know in your book you talk about from various perspectives as a wife, mother, and mm-hmm. daughter. Uh, share a little bit about that because we we got about ten minutes. Okay. Uh, uh, and share a little bit about that and. How how this impact, been impacted or mm-hmm. affected? <clears throat> well, I wrote the book at a time when I was going through, uh, I was going through a horrible divorce. I, my kids were displaced. Like I said, I have four kids. My son was in Pennsylvania with his father. My daughter was staying with my sister because she was going to school down there. My two sons are in California with my other sister, right? Because my divorce and my house was being foreclosed on. You know, I'm just grateful that I had family around me, you know, to really help as I was going through all of that, right? So I'm, I, I'm, 
very, very depressed. I probably should have been seeing a therapist at that time or something. But, I mean, I was very sad and depressed. I felt low. I felt like a failure. I mean, all of that stuff was going on. And, it just, and at the same time, this spiritual journey, you know, was happening too. And I felt like, you know, I don't have time for a spiritual journey. I have bills to pay. I need to try to find another job. You know, my, my check was being garnished for some other stuff. So I was staying, I went from a five-bedroom house to staying in a, like, one-and-a-half-bedroom apartment. It was horrible, horrible. Mm. And I wrote my book in the midst of all that. Because when Jesus talks about the peace, was it Jesus who said the peace that passes all understanding? Yeah. Uh, well, that, Paul said it. <laughs> Paul, in all of that, in all that chaos that was going on, it was right there. Mm-hmm. The peace, it was right there. Mm. And that's why I wanted to write my book at that time when all that crap was going on. I didn't want to wait until the world was bright again. And then write a book and say, if you're going through problems and on the other side, no. Right here, in the pro- in the problem, right there, there's your peace right there. Because I know that, because one issue that I had was waiting. You know, it was about, you know, wait on the Lord and this will be good. And I didn't have to wait. You don't have to wait. Nobody has to wait. It's right here, right now, right? And, and I wanted that to come through uh, uh, in the book as well. So right now... Things still happen. I mean, it's not like my life is hunky dory. There's a lot of stuff I'd love to change. You know, I'd love more money in my bank and a bigger house and, you know, a different car and all that stuff. I'd love that. But nothing is dependent. My peace and my happiness is no no longer dependent on me getting better stuff, you know. Right. Because, and, and, and also the fear that was there before, the fear that was always there, you know, if I lose this job, what's going to happen? You know, if my car breaks down today, what's going to happen? If, you know, the checks don't come in, how am I going to buy? All the, the, the fear and the anticipation and all of this, you know, asking for stuff to be better. That's another thing, too. I said in my book that God was a meal ticket, and he was. God, I used God to get all kinds of stuff. I used prayer. I, you know, he was the one I went to when I felt like I didn't have enough, so I need more. Hmm. Right now, when I see that I already have everything I need, I don't have to ask for anything. Right. I, I really, really don't. I don't have to ask for anything because I know that right now I'm at the A+. plus. Right now. And it's not just knowing that. It's really feeling it, too. When you feel that you're already at the finish line, mm. then you can do everything else. You can go get the other job. You can... You know, do whatever you want to do, but just know and feel that you're already at the finish line. That has impacted my life more than anything. You know, I feel like I'm a a better mom, a better sister, daughter, friend, coworker. I mean, all of that stuff. You know, that does. I still get angry. I still get sad. I still get depressed. I still laugh. I still all of that stuff still happens, but it happens with me knowing that I don't have to do anything to reach anything higher because I'm already here. That makes a difference. Wow. And, and you know, that's the kind of things that uh that's is is biblically sound and mm-hmm. and you know, you know, you won't find direct you won't find the scripture to say that. But mm-hmm. when you read throughout some of the narratives of the characters, 
in mm-hmm. scripture, you know, some of the ones that we hold in high esteem, like David, you know, that's that's found in his story. Uh, mm-hmm. And, other, you know, a lot of a lot of biblical narratives, we find that, but it's not it's not taught that way in in church. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not uh, matter of fact, it's not even encouraged to be that way. Most people and most pastors prefer their members to kind of live in a, uh, a bondage kind of idea of life. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, you know, I know that's not popular to say, but it's almost like we it's our dependency. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> and this was, you asked me a question earlier about what, what how I see ministers or preachers. You know, yeah, what, see there, uh, see there. See, you know, my, yeah, my... <laughs> You, my, you uh, kept my the notes and I so, did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I just say this really quickly because I know I know you're running out of time. But what what I see is that ministers, in my humble opinion, would do well to mimic a, a physician. Physicians are all about getting rid of their patients. You know, saying, you know, this is what's going on. This is what's going to help you. You know, get healthy and go. Get out of the hospital. You know, you're healthy now. Go out there and do wonderful things. Go live your life. You know, go do whatever. You know, that's my that's my job as a physician. And with ministers today, it's exact opposite. I want all y'all in the hospital. Stay here. Make the hospital bigger. Let's make more beds, more medicine, more that you know, more that as if. As if the number proves the veracity or the fidelity or the truthfulness of their message, you know, the number of people that I have following me or whatever, you know. And when I feel like it really needs to be, if you're a true servant, you know, then you're serving, you're doing, because these people don't need help. That's that's the first thing. They're already at the A+. They just don't see that. You might help them to see that and then let them go. Like, let, let them go. And, and, and show someone else, you know, you're already at the A+. plus. Oh, thank you. Now let me go tell somebody else. You're already there. Because all of the stuff that's going on in the world, this either or and the evil and the good, I mean, a lot of that has to do with, you know, us feeling like there's not enough. There's la- that sense of lack. There's not enough to go around, right? I'm not enough. You're not enough. You know, there's, everybody needs more, 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 more. And that's going to be the case as long as you feel like you're missing something. As long as you don't know, you're already enough. You're already at the A+. As long as you don't feel that, then it's going to be accumulating more. And I feel like yeah. ministers do the same thing. They get all these members to prove their rightness, to feel like, okay, I need more to be able to support my belief that I'm right. So it's no longer about them being servants. It's, it's something else. It's totally something else. So it's the mindset of a physician. Come on, you know, let you're already there. Let me just let you know that right now. But I'm going to help you to see it. And once you see it, then go. Wow. I would go to that physician. The physician who sends his patients away healthy, that's the one I want to go to. Yes, Not the one that keeps accumulating sick people. And, and, of course, you know, that is the example of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, he drew crowds because people saw what he did. He got results, mm-hmm. and it wasn't the same sick people coming back to him, moment right. after moment. It was different people with various various diseases and needs who were mm-hmm. coming, but they came and they stayed with him because he always, you know, met met them where they were. 
and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's a philosophy. Well, anyway, we, we're just about out of time. We only got about a minute left. Uh, so, okay. um, tell my audience uh, how they can learn more about you, how they get a copy of your book, and mm-hmm. um, you know your social media and all of that. Okay, well, my book is called Firing God. You can go to Amazon.com and just type in Firing God, and you can see it there. You can get it as an ebook or as a hard copy. Um, my website is CherylAbram.com. That's C-H-E-R-Y-L-A-B-R-A-M.com. Don't put an S on Abram, please. So CherylAbram.com, and there you can find a link to my book, a link to my Facebook pages. You can see some pictures of me and my family. Some videos that I've done, um, and you can get, uh, you can also email me from the website to get more information that way. All right, Cheryl, and I'm I'm so glad that you uh, decided to come on the show, and uh, thank you. Uh, I hope we'll get a chance to talk to you more again uh, in another time. But we appreciate it, and uh, we got to get out of here. This is Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and uh, I hope you enjoyed. Again, tune in again. Um, every Wednesday at 11 for zero today. And we try to do our best to empower our listeners. So thank you, Cheryl, for being on air. Uh, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Until then, till next time, this is me, and I'm out. Bye-bye, everybody. He's a man who's going to tell